Barbecue's our passion, and that's just what you'll get where the Kim Burns is a barbecuer. Tales from the pits. Howdy, welcome to another road trip episode of Tales from the Pits. This is Brian. And Andrew. And today we are in a kind of a neat little hole here. We are. We are at West Jack's Cigars and Spirits here in Fort Worth, Texas. And we are joined today by... Derek Walker, Smokeaholics Barbecue. Smokeaholics. You might remember Derek from our Fort Worth Roundtable episode last year. Um, got a got a brief chance to get to know him a little bit on the episode, but now we're going to kind of do a deep dive on your history in barbecue, which you've got a really long and storied history, and and kind of what's what's gone on for Smokeaholics and what's might be coming up for Smokeaholics. So let's uh, let's take it back to the beginning. You know, what are did you grow up in this area, and what are some of your early memories of barbecue? Sweet, yeah. So yeah, definitely born and raised right here, uh, Fort Worth, Texas, seven six one zero four. My restaurant is probably a ten minute walk. 10 to 12 minute walk from my my parents home and they still live there so uh yeah definitely born and raised still have ties to the area grandmother everybody was um in the same area so my whole childhood was spent here and man i'm glad to be back over here with the business and we're just a, a few miles down the road in the the fairmont district mm-hmm. is is and and we're not familiar with fort worth we didn't even know the whole panther thing when we yeah. first got yeah, into until we started coming out here for barbecue yeah. and we're like fort worth has like eight different nicknames yeah <laughs> definitely. Is, is there anything in in, in your area kind of historic or or that from old times to now i mean I, I don't know i mean in houston we have places where there was like a a coffee factory and like all kinds of interesting so in this fairmont area yeah definitely uh the one thing that kind of sticks out over here is the the panthers boys club uh if you if you were raised a if you it had any dealings in 76104 back in the uh, late 80s or f- throughout the 80s, late 70s, throughout the 80s, early 90s, Boys Club closed. Yeah, if you were a youth, if you were a male and you were from 76104 or surrounding areas, you definitely spent time at Panthers. That's where all of us went. It was funny, man. We used to get up in the morning and walk, and it was that's like a 35, 40-minute walk from my house. But uh, every Saturday, we'd all get up and walk, and by the time you got – to Hemphill, you start out maybe two guys. By the time you got to Hemphill, it was about 20 of you guys. <laughs> and we'd all go to the Panthers Boys Club. It opened in the morning, and uh, just lots of activities, swimming. You could take your trunks. You could swim, uh, diving. They had a swim team. It was stuff that we could do in the neighborhood that wasn't offered at our schools. So, yeah, it was kind of that was a big deal for us. And then when it closed, it kind of sucked for the area. But, yeah, that's one iconic thing that I can think of over here in Fairmont. And was there any prominent barbecue around your area that you grew up eating, or was it mostly backyard family barbecues? Or So, um, man, there was a barbecue spot called Jimmy's Barbecue on the south side over off of, um, right down the street from where I, my location, actually, uh, off of Missouri, which is one block away from me. Uh, Mr. Jimmy apparently was an icon in the area because when I opened up, that's all I heard. Like, all of the, <laughs> old, all of the older people would compare me to, uh, to Jimmy's. People would come from Dallas, like Jimmy was selling out back in this was in the seventies. Wow. Yeah, he was selling out in the seventies. So people would come from Dallas to Jimmy's, and my dad would say they would be happy just to get scraps. He was like, if all he had left was a little bit of chopped beef, they buy it. I mean, and come from Dallas for it. And they say usually by twelve thirty, one o'clock, he was sold out every day. Wow. Yeah. So eat your heart out, Aaron Franklin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But what really sucks is you know that that was an era to where there wasn't a lot of. Uh, 
lot of things recorded. I mean, it was barbecue. Yeah. It was just rest. It was just somewhere to go and get a lunch, a sandwich. You know, it, it wasn't revered like it is now. So it really sucks that we can't go back and read and find a bunch of pictures about Mr. Jimmy. But uh, Bud Kennedy's been trying to help me kind of piece some stuff together, and I've been finding a couple of little things that are interesting awesome. for a project that I'm probably going to be putting together. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Houston has that with like Matt Garner's that was was an institution back in the day. But there's just so little about it. Yeah, a few newspaper clippings, but not a whole lot remains in terms of documenting, you know, the history of it. You know, obviously yeah. this is way before, like you said, way before barbecue was something that people wanted to document. It mm-hmm. was just, you know, a cheap meal provided to the community most of the time. Um, was it? Was he just a, a straight barbecue restaurant, or was it like a meat market, or do we uh, not know? He was just a straight barbecue restaurant. Um, actually, his nephew, who's now, of course, older, he comes over from time to time and he talks to me. And uh, I always say the same thing that I remind him so much, and his food reminds me so much of his uncle's. And uh, it was nostalgic because his spot was small and this the crowds and whatnot. But yeah, it was a straight barbecue restaurant. Also, uh, Hughes Barbecue was another uh, famous barbecue here, uh, Roger Hughes in uh, Fort Worth. And you can find out about Mr. Hughes and uh, and Roger Hughes Barbecue. But yeah, some 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 rich history. And the thing that I really love now, I mean, with the times that we're in now, and it, it kind of takes me by surprise from time to time, I sit down and Google myself and all <laughs> of the stuff that comes up. I'm like, wow, man, it's just crazy, like how everything is documented these days. And, and Jimmy's and You seems to predate your experience in barbecue. Were there were there any influences you had that you can you can kind of think back to? Honestly, I really can't, man. I, I mean, there was barbecue around when I was, when I was coming up. I mean, um... Yeah, we, we I always ate at Robinson's, and Robinson's is still there on um, Berry in uh, Fort Worth. That's what we ate growing up, Robinson's, and um, there was a it, it was a it was a convenience store though. It wasn't a barbecue spot, but like Bill Side, they used to have barbecue, and that's like my first memory of Bolo. I would go get a in Texas we call it Bolo, smoked bologna, and uh, that's where we used to go get a Bolo sandwich at Bill Side or Skinner's growing up. But those were grocery stores that just happened to have a little deli where they smoked meat. And that's mostly what we had in Fort Worth. We had a couple of little mom and pop barbecue spots, and then we had these grocery stores that also had smokers. And you go to the deli, and you can you can get a little barbecue. But nothing really blew me away until later in life, you know, as far as barbecue goes. Um, really, when when Barbecue Pitmasters the show came out, I was I was already deep deep deeply enthralled with barbecue. But when that show came out, it kind of just pushed me over the edge. And I just started looking, and I was like, man, it would be really cool if we if I could find a barbecue cook-off like that here. And I just happened to Google it, and there was one at Irving Elks. Uh, IBCA was having a competition at Irving Elks, and I went out there. And that was my first experience with some mind-blowing barbecue and some things that I hadn't seen before in barbecue at that competition. And that's kind of what turned the light on for me and got me really, 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 really enthralled some early personalities there i know Ernest Cervantes and mo case and mm-hmm. very yeah. early in that, that well even barbecue. some of the people in, in the fort worth barbecue scene now i know the panther city guys were in the competition scene as well mm-hmm. and so there has been an avenue where people have gone into you know from the competition to the retail side of the business uh, what were in you know in your days of cooking barbecue or before you're cooking barbecue what were what were you guys eating on you, know, you reference bologna um like what what were kind of the staple meats or sides that you would have with barbecue so it's, it's funny, man. Growing up, we would always have, and we were joking and talking about this the other day. I don't know why, but at African-American homes growing up, you'd always have not a hamburger per se, but you had a hamburger patty. So, like, when, when we barbecued, it was always hot links, chicken. You had hamburger patties, and then ribs, of course. And then 
rarely did we have brisket. Like we only had brisket coming up when, when it was uh, family reunions or something like that, larger events. Other than that, like my dad used to always throw on pork butts, and um, we we didn't just pull it. It wasn't like pulled pork. He would slice it. He would actually smoke them super tender, and then we'd slice it and have sandwiches out of that. It was it was probably not as much of a smoke as a grill. I mean. For me, growing up in, in Texas, we always had those 55-gallon drums that you cut in half, so you, you, it was a direct heat. Right. Yep. But you had the you had the coals a little bit off of the the plate, so it's mm-hmm. kind of like what we call direct heat today. But it wasn't a grilling; it was a little smoke and a little little grill together. Well, man, actually, my dad and my granddad already knew about indirect a long time ago. So I, I've been cooking indirect my whole life. Even in our barrel, we would always burn out one side because we always cooked indirect. Mm-hmm. So we would build a fire on one side. And then you got your larger cuts on the opposite side, and then your chicken, your hot links, uh, all that's closer to the fire. So, like, I learned fire management really, really young when I when I was a kid, nine and ten years old. I could work any pit that was in our yard, and uh, just cooking indirect. That's just the way we always did. So, growing up was was cooking something you wanted to do? Or was it barbecue per se, or, or uh, culinary, or what? What cooking, really got into cooking? Period. It's just I've. I guess it was just it was in me from the beginning. So I've been cooking since I was probably six years old, uh, in some form or another, with my grandmother picking peas and uh, you know back in the day we used to have to separate when you got your um, your pinto beans or your black eyed peas you used to have to go in there and separate them because it'd be rocks it'd be full of rocks <laughs> you don't have to do that anymore we used to have to sit down at the table and put them on a big tray and se- separate the beans from the rocks and wash them. My grandmother taught us how to soak the beans and then cook. Man, I've been cooking everything since I was probably five or six years old. In middle school, all the cooking that was done in my house was by me. My parents used to work late. I would get up in the morning and take chicken and pork chops out of the freezer and put them in the sink. And when I got home, I would cook. And my parents would get in usually about 6, 6.30, and dinner was already done. So it's just always been in me. Are, are there any of those old food items, entrees, or sides that, that you're not seeing much anymore that you wish would be, be a little more prevalent? You know, um, kind of certain things, but not really. Like most of the stuff that I grew up with, I just refuse to let die. I still do. So whenever I have a Sunday special or something like that at the restaurant, I normally throw those things in. Uh, the only thing that I really don't see a lot of, and I've been talking to my dad about doing at the restaurant, is hot water cornbread. It's we, kinda, we just had some yeah. yesterday. Uh, Smokey Joe's had some yeah, on the menu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of hard to find around these parts. I know right. maybe if you go to Madeira's, you can get some. And but In, in Jefferson, Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Joseph's Riverport. Yes, has, Riverport has Barbecue has yeah, been doing it for a long time. You see a whole lot yeah. That was the first time sure. I had it. Yeah, and, so uh, stuff like that. And then uh, crackling cornbread. Like, I don't know if you've ever had yep. crackling cornbread. But, yeah, stuff like that that I don't hardly see anymore. Uh, whole cakes, you know what I'm saying? I made Brian Furman, yeah, Furman, both, yeah, both of those items, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, we had those at these And they were phenomenal. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so stuff like that, man, like deep southern traditions that are kind of kind of dying and going away that I don't want to see go. I, I know um, oxtails have gained popularity back, but uh, like even neck bones and stuff like that, I'm going to start bringing back on my Sunday on my Sunday menu, smoking the neck bones ourselves and then braising them and, and things like that, so. The price of oxtails has just gotten crazy, too, the last few years. Nuts. It used to be such a nice, cheap cut to buy, and yeah. not anymore. <laughs> yeah. And and there's one thing on your menu, and we'll get to your menu in a little more detail, but um, you are doing the rib tips, which mm. um, we, a few places are doing, but not, not many these days. Um, seems to be a, a good seller as well. It's always been popular ever since I started doing it, uh, which was a surprise to me because I only did it because I used to trim my own ribs. So I would buy spares. You, back in, like I said, I've been doing this since 
2004, you couldn't hardly find St. Louis cut ribs in, around here. So we'd have to take the spares and trim them to St. Louis. So I started cooking the tips just for me and snacking on them. And then whoever else was hanging out with me, and people were like, man, you got to start selling these. And I, at first I thought it was a joke. And then I, I did one day and people started asking and hadn't stopped asking. And now I can't cook enough of them, man. I, actually, we just upped our paw on tips this week and still they don't want to make it past 3 o'clock. I don't care how many pounds I do. I think yesterday I did almost 200 pounds of rib tips, and they were gone by 3 o'clock. Wow. wow. You, you do your rib tips. You serve them a little differently than, than we've been used to seeing them. What, you know, let us know a little bit what went into the decision of, of slicing versus chopping on the rib tips. Yeah, so if you get, get tips from Midwest, uh, Chicago, anywhere up there, they're going to put them on the board, and they're going to hit them with the cleaver, and they'll chop them. And that's the same thing I used to do on the truck. And then I don't know, one day I was in the restaurant, I think just the cleaver wasn't right there, and I grabbed the knife, and I just liked the way they, they looked. It, and it was a little, like I say, easier and less noise, and <laughs> grease and meat's not flying everywhere. I just hit it with the knife, and it just gave it a little a more refined look, so I just kind of stuck with it. In one way, it's kind of like Evan's beef cheeks that are sliced versus how they used to yeah, be Yeah, versus served. like shredding them in a the barbacoe. Right. Yeah, it, it is, I mean, obviously the flavor is the same, the texture is the same. It is. It does make it even more of a finger food than trying to grab the whole rib tip and, mm-hmm. and, and chew around the cartilage and all that. But yeah, it is. It, it's a great bite. Um, you you referenced that you've been in barbecue since about 2003. What what got you into barbecue as a business? Were you were you cooking other styles of food prior to that, or, or what was your cooking career? Yeah. So actually, uh, it's funny, man, because I always said that I would never that I never wanted to do. Actually, I said I never wanted to cook professionally, period. Uh, cooking was just always a hobby and a release for me. Uh, it was something I loved to do. I, I loved to cook and, and see the enjoyment and the smile on people's face when they ate what I cooked and, and liked it. So, But I really liked that at home. You know, My parents would come home from, from work, and they were super excited. And then sometime I'd, my dad would bring friends home, and they would come in and tell me that they could smell it out in the driveway. And they came in and eat and just... The way they talked and about the food and, and, and reacted is what I always loved about it. So I said I never wanted to taint that by doing it professionally. So I said I'd never be a professional cook. And it was the same thing with barbecue. I love barbecue, but it'll only be something that I do on the weekends. And my, how things change. And you kind of went through that, that journey. Tell us a little bit about that progression into and uh, the culinary school as well. Yeah, so um, uh, 18 years old, I started working at Baylor. Uh, All Saints Medical Center here in Fort Worth, actually next door to where we are right now. Uh, I started working over there when I was 18 as a dishwasher. Uh, that only lasted for maybe a week. Uh, I guess I was a little sharp and somebody noticed it and they pulled me out. They were starting a host hostess program where they were going to actually go up and pass trays to patients instead of leaving them and let nursing hand them to them. So they thought I'd be a good fit for that. So they put me in a white tuxedo shirt and some black slacks and sent me upstairs to pass trays. <laughs> and uh, I did that for a few weeks, and then they made me a supervisor over that program. So uh, I supervised the host hostess program for a little while, and then I worked on a tray line when I wasn't on over there, and then they made me a food service manager. So now I'm over tray line, I'm over the hostesses, I'm over the guys in the dish area, the utility guys. And this went on and on for years until I worked my way up to uh, sous chef. I went to culinary school, I was an executive chef, and by the time it was said and done, I was a food service director. I was running the whole show, so that was pretty cool, man. You'd work clearly. You'd work your way up the ladder. You'd put in the time. You'd done this. You'd done the education portion of it. 
did you ever have aspirations of opening up your own place from there or what what kind of was the logical so, next step for you yeah by the end of by the end of that journey i'd say yeah so like i was telling you i, I would always tell the guys there that i would that i never wanted to cook professionally so when i first went to culinary school it was really only because i had hit the ceiling as far as salary go i, I couldn't make any more money without having some type of degree you know so i that's that was why i went to culinary school i said okay if i go to culinary school it's still in the field it's quick two years I can be in and out and have something else under my belt so that was my whole reason for going which I felt like I already knew most of the stuff that I was going to learn there and I knew a lot but I didn't know quite any I didn't know what I thought I knew let's put it like that so yeah I went to culinary school and then by the end of culinary school I think maybe the year after that is when I started saying yeah I think I can open my own spot and I knew then that it would be barbecue I was gonna add like was it yeah was there ever a, a decision that maybe it wasn't going to be barbecue or it was always in the back of your mind no in the beginning i had i had got into the fine dining scene and you know i was so like i'm a i'm a huge tv guy as you can tell like i was talking about barbecue pitmasters earlier i just i back at that time all i did was watch cooking shows so it was uh if it wasn't pitmasters it was something on food network bobby flay something or uh top chef something or iron chef something it was it was cooking that's all i watched you still watch them all I still do, but, you know, this kind of fell off. There's not a lot of good shows like it used to be. They've gotten kind of weird, like with yeah, Rat, yeah. Rat in the Kitchen and Next Level. Yeah. Like, they're adding Yeah, like yeah, video some of them are really goofy. Weird. Back <laughs> when, I, the, the, when Top Chef first began and when Iron Chef was in its peak, man, there was some great cooking. And that's kind of, that stuff just inspired me. And so um, I was leaning towards fine dining at first, but then barbecue just kept pulling at me and kept pulling at me. And by the time I was finishing culinary school when we were doing – capstone projects and stuff like that you have to uh basically design a restaurant and you get with a design student and you i mean you, it's a full design a full layout menu and everything and so i did smokeaholics barbecue for my capstone <laughs> and that that from there on that was the only thing that was in my mind was one day i'm opening smokeaholics barbecue and it happened and you started with a, a trailer before the brick and mortar, right? So, so I had a food truck for one, a food trailer for one year, uh, 2018 to 2019. But prior to that, we just pulled the smoker for years. Uh, I was doing pop-ups back in 2004, 2005, and um, I, like I say, I always joke that I was doing pop-ups before pop-ups were cool. I was doing pop-ups 0405, and then we started doing catering, event vending in 2006 and that's about the time we started competing now we started competing in 2003 so the smokeaholics name began in 2003 but we started doing event vending and catering in 2006 so that's why i say smokeaholics was formed in 2006. so when you were doing you were doing competition and pop-ups you know kind of the same time was it was it hard to separate those two styles or did you have more of a competition profile to your food at the time no um I just knew the difference. I mean, when I was in competition, I cooked competition style, and when I wasn't, I didn't. Competition style, man, it's weird. Like, overly, <laughs> we agree. Over, yes. <laughs> overly salty, overly sweet. You know, it's just overdone. Uh, everything is just over, over, overly done, and yeah, nobody cooks like that for real. And back then, though, it, it hadn't been kind of infected with the whole wagyu no. thing, so it was a little more. Even though it was still competition, it was a little more pure. Yeah, we're, we're you didn't have like the whole Frankenstein they thing were, you got going on. They were now. just starting to talk prime. They were just starting to talk prime when when we when we were there. Uh, you had if you had seventy teams there, maybe five teams cooked prime. 
yeah. out of seventy. Everybody else was a select. Yeah, now everybody's everybody's yeah, wagyu gold. Everybody, and all, yeah. yeah, all that crazy <laughs> stuff that you know, buying these two hundred dollar briskets and then injecting them with all sorts of crazy things. But yeah, mm-hmm. the competition worlds. It's a whole In different fact, animal. Memphis and May is going on right now. Yeah. as we speak. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a different animal. A lot of politics too. Yeah, and a lot of you know. Again, we talked about kind of characters and and as some of the competitions and cooking shows are coming along and and it, it, more so than ever now in competition barbecue you have these kind of grandiose productions and characters that walk around that, that almost are are completely artificial like so uh, anyway it's kind of spoiled to me it's kind of spoiled the the competition world another thing that was re- that was very instrumental in my barbecue uh upbringing shall i say I don't know if you guys were so way back before Facebook. There was a forum called uh, the Barbecue Brethren. Yep, mm-hmm. still around. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that was part of the smoke ring. Was like yep, the, the that's it. Of, yeah. That's what really that's that. So I was there first, and then Barbecue Pitmasters came out. So those two things right there were very instrumental in getting me to where I am today. That forum was cool, man. This was like before Facebook. I would be out and about and checking my phone for notifications <laughs> from Barbecue Brethren. Like logging in and see who said what, and just talking barbecue all day with like-minded guys, and then they would have meetups, and uh, that's kind of so I started talking to, uh, and I still talk to Big Mister, uh, Big Mister out of California, Neil Strader. Mm-hmm. That's I kind of met Neil in there, and um, some other guys who are out today that I that I met way back when, and like 2001, 2002, in the barbecue brethren, upload those little grainy photos and look at, <laughs> look at each other's food. It was cool, man, but everybody in there was super, 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 super serious about barbecue. Right. And it was before all the videos and the books. All and, of that. Like, so that was really one of the very few sources that you could get without without trying to pry it out of people's minds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, back then, a lot of the recipes were either not written down or they're in a, a paper binder. Yeah. And and now, I mean, everybody's got a book out with everybody's recipes. Everybody's got a book or videos a class or, or a video. Yeah. So I mean, that's where I first learned three, two, one method on ribs and... That's where I first started hearing those terms, three, two, one. Mm-hmm. The guys were talking about butcher paper way back then. No, it, it didn't go mainstream, but guys were using it way before. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean Raikland's Barbecue Bible was was one of the early books. Yeah, yeah. well, and all the meat had Goldwyn stuff, yeah. and you know, yeah, the, there was a few you know really key figures in barbecue at the time that were sharing some of that stuff. But yeah, for yeah, the most Ray, part, it was Ray Lampy and yep. some of those guys from way back. Yeah, it was a it was a different time in barbecue. A lot of those guys are still around, but yeah, there's there's such a wealth of information out there now, which yep. which is a good thing and a bad thing depending on how you use it. <laughs> it yeah. is because now everybody's an expert. Right. You go in one of these uh, groups on Facebook, and everybody knows everything. And I'm like, dude. Well, with with all that information, you know, your one of your first five briskets can be a genuinely good brisket. In the old days, you, yeah. it was trial and error and trial and error. It doesn't matter because there just wasn't a ton of information. It's evident because you got guys on the on the top fifty list who hadn't even been cooking barbecue for five years. Oh, multiple. Yeah, yeah. multiple. I mean, that, and we, we talked about this with Daniel yesterday. Um, I think it was three of the top four on the top fifty list have been open less than three years. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's. I mean, that's amazing. That, that it you definitely can, is. It definitely is to be able to pull out a skill set like that in, in that short amount of time is. Yeah. Right. And like of course, they come from, from all walks of life. I mean, Ernest, yes, Burt Bean's only been open for a year, but anyone that knows Ernest Cervantes knows he's been, you know, in the barbecue mm-hmm. world for a very long time. But yeah, it's it's interesting to see just how much it's changed and how quickly it's changed. Yeah. I remember talking to Ernest uh, back in 2000, like 2009, when I first got on Facebook. 
and, and our comp we didn't even know that barbecue was a common interest at the time. He just had a, a chef coat on in his profile picture. He worked at Sodexo, and at the time I was working for Aramark as a chef, and we connected on Facebook like in 2009, just talking about food, you know, high-end cuisines, and we would message each other. And we even way back then we talked about linking up. One day I was either going to go out towards him or he was going to come up towards me, but we we weren't even talking barbecue. We mm. were talking about you know, classically trained chef type things I, I would love to see a burnt bean smokeaholics <laughs> yeah. collaboration uh, yeah, yeah i think you guys could do some really like interesting unique spin on that stuff. that would be fun yeah, yeah two two very creative minds and you know that that can do more All than right, just Ernest, hope you're listening because that yeah. yeah come on ernie let's do it <laughs> all right so so let's fast forward to you know you, you've you've done the you've been doing the festival circuit the pop-up circuit you started running the food truck you know how did how did brick and mortar start coming into play for you so um when we were in the food truck our whole our whole purpose for getting the food truck was to save a little extra money so we could buy a home that that was our whole purpose my wife and i we wanted to purchase our first home so we got in the food truck we got our credit situated we got everything right we got a we hired a realtor we're looking at homes and then that building i found out that that building was available over here right down the street from the job i drove by it a couple of times then i called my wife and i brought her over to look at it and I was like, but I know what we're trying to do. I said, but I just wanted you to see this and that and this and that. And it was actually her idea. She, the next day, she said, hey, she said, we can buy a house anytime. She said, uh, the business is going good. I think it's going in the right direction. She was like, let's do it. And I was like, seriously? And she said, yeah. She said, we can get a house later. And that's what happened. We uh, put the house on hold, moved into the, the brick and mortar. And man, uh, three years later, we're still here. It's thriving. We, we made it through the pandemic. And... Everything's still going in the right direction. Now, how was the the build out on on the building? I mean, it's it's primarily a to go place, but there's there's some spots to eat. Was it was it a pretty quick and easy build, or was it a little a little more complicated with the health laws? Yeah, actually, um, I mean, we didn't do much to the building because we didn't have much. You know, we came in, we didn't have any loans, we didn't have any backing. We used the money that we had saved, and we used our credit cards, so we didn't do a lot. We uh, built a pit room around back. Uh, we d we had to move a couple of walls up front and that was pretty much it man we came on in uh the city of fort worth is not hard to work with i mean you i hear a lot of horror stories from surrounding areas but actually man we we were in there with all of our paperwork and within probably six weeks Amazing. yeah it took us about six weeks to get all of our we know uh, people that are probably six years and they haven't opened yeah. a brick and mortar <laughs> no six weeks we had all of our paperwork done and everything all of our permits were cleared and um it took my guys very, very little time to put in the grease trap and get everything else going. So it was the building was probably ready to go in about six weeks, but uh, I took about another three to lead a job and get everything get everything ready to go. But yeah, it was fairly easy. So menu wise, was, is the menu you're serving today similar to what you're doing in the food truck? Has it expanded a lot from what you're doing in the food truck? Obviously, you've yeah, got a it, kitchen now, more it space. It definitely expanded uh, on the food truck. I think we had ribs, brisket, chicken, sausage, and tips. So yeah, I didn't have any turkey. Uh, I'm doing the pork belly burnt ends now. Um, what else did I add meat wise? Was, uh, was the loaded cornbread at the truck? Loaded cornbread wasn't on the truck. That's that's new to the restaurant. We were doing a Big Mac on the truck, but and the nachos were on the truck. But everything else, beans and potato salad were only sides on the truck. So the, the dirty rice and all that stuff was new when we came in the restaurant. 
So let's talk about those turkey legs. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I know. I know. We <laughs> talked about them on the round table, but I just want to hear it again because it's a Tuesday only special. Mm-hmm. So, um, and and the person in front of us or behind us didn't know that either. He was very disappointed. yeah. Yeah. Someone yeah. came in right when we were ordering today, yeah. trying to get a turkey leg. Remember Tuesdays only Tuesdays at Smokeaholics. But um, what was your? Uh, I mean, have you had turkey legs before you started doing them? What was your influence yeah. and, and yeah, idea so, about that? And I didn't. I never wanted to do them. That's the crazy thing about it. Me, I, I never try to do anything that somebody else is already doing. That's that's just me. My whole thing is I like to create my own wave and I ride that wave. I don't like to grab somebody else's wave and ride it. So, of course, we went to Houston and Turkey Leg Hut uh, is in Houston. For my first experience, I know some people try to say that other people were doing it before. I had never heard of or seen a, a loaded Turkey Leg until I went to Turkey Leg Hut in Houston. Uh, we had them. My wife loves them. And so we came back, um, and it wasn't immediately after we came back. It actually was probably six to seven months later. We were always at the restaurant on Tuesday anyway. We have to prep for Wednesday. So I'm at the restaurant Tuesday mornings, 4 o'clock, getting the pit loaded so I can do briskets for Wednesday. And then my wife is there shortly after me prepping, and we're getting stuff together. And it's usually a seven- to eight-hour day uh, for me anyway. And my wife usually leaves about 3, 3.30 on Tuesday. So she was like, look, the whole staff is here on Tuesday anyway. We should be doing something where we can make some money. And I told her, it, she had asked me before about doing turkey legs, and I told her no. <laughs> so she asked me about doing something on Tuesdays where we can make money. I say, look, if I don't have to come up here on Monday and prep, if you can think of something that we can do that I don't have to come prep on Monday, I say, by all means, we'll do it. And she hit me with the turkey legs, and I was like, damn. <laughs> so I, st- I started doing the turkey legs, and uh, it's actually been pretty good, man. People people took to them immediately, and people love them. Uh, we do th- three to four different flavors. I have one with a cornbread uh, dressing and giblet gravy that we call the gobbler, and it comes with uh, um, cranberry sauce, on the- and people want a bucket of cranberry sauce. <laughs> but we have one with a uh, Cajun chicken, uh, I mean Cajun sausage, chicken, and um, Alfredo sauce, we call that one the Raging Cajun. We have one with dirty rice and then a Cajun roux. And then we have one with uh, with my smoked Parmesan cheddar grits and uh, Argentinian red shrimp, we, and that's uh, the big grit. And then we have a plain Jane. You can get one with just barbecue sauce. So for, for those that don't understand, this is not your like Renaissance fair, just smoked turkey leg by itself. What what is a, what is a stuffed turkey leg? Is, I mean, you, you talked about all these ingredients, so, yeah, so how, does that, how does that work? So essentially, we take a giant turkey leg that's probably about a pound and a half within itself. Uh, we smoke them, and in the cooking process, we uh, wrap them, and then they're super-duper tender. So you can actually shake it off the bone, but we don't. We lay it in a container, and we, my wife, she pinches it open and lays it out so eloquently in the bottom of this container, and then we fill it with the ingredients aforementioned. <laughs> so it's a, so it's a, it's a nice stuffed, smothered and covered, delicious looking yes. piece of meat. And I'll, I I hate that it's only on Tuesdays just know, because I, yeah, just because we don't live here. But, but <laughs> what's worse is like I think we'd want one of each. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That God. that would be the yeah. problem. Bring, is. bring a group, and then that way you can kind of do a buffet style. And how many of these turkey legs do you typically go through on a Tuesday now? Uh, about a hundred. Yeah, we do about a hundred. Uh, anywhere from ninety to one hundred five, one ten. But uh, I'm a huge texture guy, so that's that's the reason. There's always reasoning behind the things that I do. So, like, my, my loaded cornbread textural contrast, 
and then also sweet. I love sweet. I love savory. I love different textures. So that's the kind of the premise behind the turkey legs as well. Mine, some places they don't, but mine all have different textures and different. So you got something with a little sweetness, a little saltiness, and different textures, and that's kind of what draws people into them, I believe. Well, it's great that these are smoked in house because I know there are some places that do smoke turkey legs pre-smoked, mm-hmm. you know, but but these are actually smoked in house. Everything is made in house. I mean, pretty much everything that you guys do is scratch. Is, is scratch. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah, we're we're gonna have to find a way. Yeah. It's all I mean, there is having to it. that having that culinary background and, and that knowledge of of layering flavors. I mean, even to something that that's pretty common, like the uh, the potato salad. You know, it's it, the first thing we notice. I mean, eggs. You don't see that mm-hmm. in potato salad. And so again, like there's all different kinds of potato salad, and we like that. This, this is a, a cold, creamy potato salad with the eggs. Um, any anything you can tell us about. And what goes into some of those sides, like your collards? or Yeah, and even in the potato salad, you know, you go to some places and either it's a smooth potato salad, like mashed potatoes, or either it's all chunks besides the salad dressing. So mine, you get the best of both worlds. You get get the smooth potato, and then you get the chunks, and then you get the crunchy onion, and then, like you said, you get eggs, and then you get... You get relish, and then you get sweet, and then you get salty. It's, it's just my thing. My Sweet and salty is my jam. So if you eat my potato salad, it's sweet and salty. My my uh, beans are kind of sweet and salty. And then uh, you had them, so you know they got a little ground hamburger in them as well. Bell pepper, onion, that's that textural contrast again. So I want you to bite it and get something crunchy, get something sweet, get something you know, smooth, diff- different textures. That's what I'm all about. So yeah, another dish that's kind of you know really stood out on your menu, and we finally got to try it today, is the smothered cornbread, um, which is a whole meal. I mean, we, we're, it, we're it's actually a couple of whole meals. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. we're we're, uh, we're just obscene fat people, and so we order that plus another tray of meats. But you could just order the cornbread, and it's a meal. Tell us a little bit about how the cornbread came to be, and how that got on the menu, and what what exactly is all in the cornbread. Actually, uh, so growing up, it's another one of those things. Growing up, you know, we would always eat red beans and cornbread. So my parents would always, my, my dad, my grandparents, they would always put their cornbread down and then smother it with, be- with beans. And then whatever else we were eating would be on the side of it. So one day I was looking around, we were in the kitchen, and I had the cornbread, and I looked at the beans, and I, I thought about it. And I was like, huh, and I put the beans on top of the cornbread. And I was talking to my dad, we were looking at it, and I was like, wait a minute. I ran in there and grabbed a handful of brisket. And shoved it on top of that. And I thought we thought that was it. And then I was like, uh-uh, wait, wait, wait. I went and got, <laughs> got the shredded cheese. and then the, It's like uh, one of those infomercials. But wait, there's more. <laughs> yeah, it, it actually was just something that I just built on a whim one morning just from thinking back to cornbread and pinto beans. And then I, my dad was in the kitchen. We were playing around, and I built it. And he was looking at it. And he was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and he ate it. And he said, dude, you've got to put this on the menu. And that's how it happened. A lot of stuff we just play around with in the kitchen. The Big Mac came around from playing around in the kitchen. What's the Big Mac? The Big Mac is uh, the one dish that has the, and I'm not going to claim that I was the first one to make this dish, but I was the first one that I ever saw this dish on Instagram, and now everybody's got a brisket mac or something. Now, I'm not saying that I invented it, but I'm saying that <laughs> I was the first person that I ever saw. So it's got uh, smoked mac and cheese, then it's got uh, chopped brisket. We put smoked sausage, barbecue sauce, and green onions. And uh, that's what we call the Big Mac. And we did that three years ago, so somebody find me one prior to that. (laughs) (laughs) No, actually, four and a half years ago. That was from the food truck. 
now we're gonna get a bunch of messages of someone that made it one time in their house in 2014. I accidentally spilled some stuff on yeah. my mac and cheese. <laughs> that that every time we say something on the show, like, oh, you're the first person I remember without fail. Like a few days later, we'll get some message that's, from somebody. That's saying. why I said it, so somebody can show me because I don't I don't know. I hadn't seen it before, so show me if you know. And so so you launched the business. You launched the brick and mortar. You know, the, did the neighborhood immediately take to what you were doing? Did it take some time oh, no, to really they, build the audience? Or? They did. Uh, yeah, really, before we even opened, when I started putting signs up and was just hanging out, people started pulling up and asking questions and when and, yeah, we can't wait and this and that. And they, a lot of people over the, this side of town didn't know me. Well, they didn't know about the barbecue. People who knew me personally, but, like, other people in the community that didn't know me personally, they didn't know anything about my barbecue because I was out on the southwest side on the food truck over off of Hewland. So they didn't know who I was, but they were happy to have something just coming back to the area. There's nothing over there to eat, man. Before before I opened, Stephanie's was not open next door to the Jamaican restaurant, nor the uh, Mexican restaurant down on the other end. Neither of those businesses were open prior to me. So there was nothing over there except fried chicken. You know, you can get fried chicken or a hamburger. That was it. Uh, or up on Berry, like I said, Robinson's was still up on Berry. And then you got Mama E's barbecue around the corner. But they were happy to have a different option or something new coming to the neighborhood. So, yeah, the first day I opened the doors, man, the whole community was there and all of my other following was there and still the same thing today. So one of, one of the things we like is that you have some great value items and, you know, especially as, as inflation and, and prices and all of that goes up. I mean, an, an item like the loaded cornbread, I think it was $13? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, obviously prices are always going to be yeah. subject to change in barbecue. It's a, it's a lot of yes. food for $13. Mm-hmm. As you've had to raise prices, I mean, how has the community reacted to that? I know it's it's tough for a lot of people on both ends of this. You know, uh, the very first price jump that we did, we increased, and this was back at the height of the pandemic. We had to increase everything like a dollar, and people noticed. And we had a couple of people who said something, but nobody was really pushing the issue. And then after that, like, we had to raise prices a couple of times again just due to inflation and what's going on out here right now. If we want to keep stay open you have to so we increased a couple more times nobody said a word well again you know things like rib tips things like the loaded cornbread it's great to have those options even the even the big mac you know to have options where you can get a lot of food um, and not have to pay for just one or two proteins right. that have spiked. Well, I think, yeah. at least from a barbecue standpoint, where it tends to be more difficult on the customer side is if you're if you have a smaller menu that's only by the pound, mm-hmm. then there's really no cheaper alternative for the customer. You know, there's no way for them to get a compl- uncomposed plate without buying quarter pound of this, quarter pound of this, quarter pound of this. So, having options like that, and there are a few other. I mean, there are plenty of other barbecue places that have different structured menus, but it does allow the customer that may not be able to afford a pound of brisket, a half pound of ribs. They can still get, you know, a nice meal without breaking their own personal bank. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously tough for everybody right now, whether it's you know, on the consumer end and, of course, on the restaurant end. And it's so unpredictable because prices will change week to week, sometimes day to day, depending on when you place in your order for the next round of meats for the week. Yeah, sad to say, though, uh, if things don't change soon, uh, probably all barbecue restaurants are going to end up having to go to that type of structure to where everything's going to have to be purchased by the, by the half pound, quarter pound, mm-hmm. a pound. And then everything else a la carte. That's going to be the only way to survive, man, because stuff is getting outlandish. I remember when we first opened, and of course my menu was a little bigger, and I might be preparing just a little bit more now, but not a lot different. Not a lot has changed since I first opened, because like I say, we had quite a, we had grown quite popular when we opened the door. So I was still pretty much cooking the same amount that I'm cooking now. 
And man, I was I was spending like seventy five hundred a week from uh, my grocery supplier, and now it's like eleven grand, wow. so, sometimes twelve. Not to mention the other little stuff that we pick up from the stores and, and things a week. So you go from spending maybe eight or nine thousand dollars a week to like thirteen five. It's getting crazy. Yeah. And and one thing we do tell you know consumers, especially those listening that are that are consumers. You know, don't get if, if you're not going to use the sauce, make sure you tell the restaurant, don't mm-hmm. give me any, because those are those expenses that they're throwing in the trash. That's killing right. them. Um, if you're not going to eat the bread, don't ask for the bread. Right. Um, I mean, not that it's it's not unique to barbecue, because, like, I mean, you go to a Mexican restaurant and you expect to have chips and salsa. I, on I the think table, those days are but, numbered. But, on, yeah, on I, chips do, and salsa. I do, too. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's but barbecue, hurt, but yeah. it's so expected for you to have three or four items that you don't pay for that come with your meal, whether that's sauce pickles mm-hmm. onions bread and all of that is an expense that that the restaurant incurs that you just you have to start drawing lines places you like, know, i think it's more expensive i don't know how some places give away barbecue sauce like there's some places where barbecue sauce is free and then of course i know when you go to uh, most barbecue restaurants there's sauce sitting on the table but like some places will just sit out like a, a, a pump bottle of sauce right. and then all the little two ounce cups and you can just help yourself i don't know how they do it because i pay for like now, I'm not making my sauce in house anymore. We're using a co-packer, and I'm buying man every other week. I'm buying like 25 gallon buckets of barbecue sauce. My daughter was telling me today, like we're up to use we use two, we use 10 gallons of sauce a day at the restaurant. Um, and I'm I had to start charging people because everybody comes in, they get right. you get two sauces with a plate, you get a sauce with a sandwich, and everybody's like, can I get like three or four extra sauces? And I'm like, no, nah, right. I can't afford to. Even the little containers that the, 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 the sauce goes into. Yeah, all I just of that. can't give it away. Yeah, one, one of our good friends, I have to I have to say it. You know where I'm going. <laughs> Um, he, he had a great idea when he opened his restaurant. I thought it was cool. It was one of those, you know, tea machines full of sauce, and mm-hmm. he had one for each flavor of the sauce. And, uh, yeah, that didn't last long. Cause, no. Yeah. Because it's two things. Number one, it, people overpour, mm-hmm. but then they leave it on the table. Mm-hmm. And like I said, that's, that's where, as a consumer, people really need to know, if you're not going to eat those extra things that are given for free, please don't ask for them. Yeah. Because that's, in effect, that's going to raise the price of the rest of the proteins. Yeah. Speaking of those little things, one thing that we noticed that we really like, in addition to uh, uh, pickles and uh, onions, is that you do the banana peppers yeah. as well. And that was, it was nice. Yeah, I mean, you see pickle jalapenos a lot, but a lot of times those are too spicy to go with the meal. The banana pepper is a nice little, it gives you a little bit of spice, but it's not a, it's, it's you know, to me it's more of a compliment to the meal than, than a jalapeno could be. Oddly, though, started off as pepper. I started, when I first started doing it, I used pepperoncinis. Mm-hmm. I used to use pepperoncinis, and then uh, we switched over. I don't know how we switched over to banana peppers, but it was some years ago. But I've, I've always used them. I never used jalapenos, and I... I'm, I'm the type of guy I cook and I do what I like it's things that I like to eat like I don't I love jalapenos maybe a fried jalapeno or a popper or a nachos but when I'm just sitting there eating my barbecue I don't I don't want to just eat a spicy jalapeno but I always like the flavor of a pepper pepperoncini or a banana pepper or something like that so that's what I use that's just because I like them so you, um, once you once you open the brick and mortar, I mean, people did start to take notice. Both the community and both the you know and you know the media started to take notice. You know, you've received some accolades. You did congratulations on making the top fifty list. Thank Obviously, you, that's you. a huge accomplishment. And you know, we've, we've told multiple people this is probably the hardest top fifty list ever to make because there's more bar- great barbecue around now than there ever has been before. Um, so you've got you've had some success both locally, both through 
the media. What is the future for Smokeaholics? Do you have any plans in the works for growth, or, or what are you what are you looking towards? Yep, we're actually uh, getting ready to start having plans drawn up, and we're looking to expand. Hopefully by the end of the year, if not first of the year, right there where we are now. I purchased a lot next door, and we're looking to do an expansion on our on our existing footprint. We'll get that uh, lot next door rezoned to where it'll be all one lot, and we'll. What I would like to do, I have to look first and see, make sure that the, my building is not, doesn't fall under something historic, but I like to just push down and just rebuild right there, man. Just re, uh, maybe one of those uh, nice metal, like uh, born, born, uh, born Dominion type mm -hmm. buildings. Right. Yeah, I just like to just start over, just rebuild right there. So hopefully maybe seating indoor for 40 to 50, maybe another 30 to 40 on a patio, small bar. Uh, serving only. Well, I'm not gonna put too much out there because I don't want anybody. <laughs> yeah, to, I, I don't saying, want anybody yeah. to steal my stuff before I do it. So. Yeah, and, and I mean it's a lot bigger than than what you would build. But look at a place like J Bar M. Mm -hmm. uh, look at their building because it's. It, I think it's kind of that same aspect where it's a metal. It's a metal frame building, mm -hmm. but they put in some big glass walls, and it's it's a beautiful aesthetic until and they, you have to pay that air conditioning bill on that glass wall. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Quadruple level glass or something there. Um, so, uh, you know, without, again, without going into details about um, and kind of what you're going to be cooking, but great that you're going to be doing and considering that expansion there. Um, what do you think is kind of in the future, maybe not necessarily for Smokeaholics specifically, but like what's barbecue going to be like in another three to five years? Man, you know, uh, about a week ago I was sitting there and I was thinking about that myself and I'm, I, I got a headache. I literally got a headache because if you just think of some of the creativity and some of the stuff that's coming out now, like uh, how much further can it go? Like, is it, we've asked ourselves that, but then yeah. something something will come along and exactly. push it further. Well, yeah. like as as much as we've seen in barbecue, like burnt beans, huevos rancheros, and and their banana pudding. Yeah, it's almost just it's almost out. getting to the point to where. In order to open a barbecue restaurant, you're gonna to have to have a culinary degree because <laughs> everybody is getting so, you know, so 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 classy with it. I, I mean, for for lack of a better term, everybody is just so classy all of a sudden. You're looking at some of these desserts and some of these dishes that are coming out, and everybody's wanting to all of a sudden start using real plates and 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 and. Uh, skillets and like what is man, what is going on like it's cool though it, it, yeah it's, it's, it's really a, it's a cool. dining experience it's, now. An, it's not just barbecue yeah. and i'm like man over in the next few years where can this thing possibly end up but i don't know i'm along for the ride i just <laughs> i just want to see and right. i got some stuff up my sleeve too Let, let's let's do a few random questions and then we'll get you out of here um who's someone in barbecue that if you had the opportunity you'd love to cook with that you've never cooked with before uh, probably Rodney Scott. That's a good one. Yeah. Is it is it, and obviously Rodney specializes in whole hog. Would it mm -hmm. would it be like a whole hog type? Yeah, cook? definitely. Yeah. I don't have a lot of experience in whole hog. I'd like to get a little bit more experience in whole hog, and then just you we know, just need to buy a BQ and just like park it for a weekend at some places. Yeah, yeah just, just park cook it a hog for places. us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, another one. So go ahead, Brian. Yeah. So, um, what's a barbecue joint that you have not been to yet that you would love to go eat at? Oh man, there's a couple right here. I've, um, I've yet to go to too many of them right here in my own backyard. Uh, I still hadn't. Man, I, I've just gotten to the point to where my staffing is uh, uh, allowed me to leave. So a lot of these guys, man, I apologize. But yeah, I need to. I need to go over to Danes. I hadn't went and actually sat down at Danes. Uh, I hadn't been to Hurtado. 
And then my my cousin Marcus, uh, him and another guy have a joint venture in Arlington. It's called TJ's Catfish and Wings, and Marcus's barbecue is killing out in Arlington as well. So I'd like to go out there and, and, and check him out. Okay, so we'll go to places you have been to. What are mm-hmm. what are a couple of barbecue spots you like going to when you do have the chance to get away? So uh, I like I love to go to Slow Bone. Uh, that I was on Slow Bone way back when I was telling people Slow Bone, they didn't know who Slow Bone was. But so I was so glad to see those guys make the list. I mean, I just love their ribs and their fried chicken. And, but uh, Corkscrew, I love Corkscrew, and then of course Truth, I love Truth. Yeah, we, we do have to point out, um, you've got a picture of you on the very front door of your business, mm-hmm. and, and we noticed you're wearing the corkscrew hat. Yeah. So, uh, that was cool for us, because we're such nerds, like, we, we spotted that right <laughs> off, but, but uh, you know, hi, Nicole and Will, and yeah, I, every time I mention corkscrew, I will get back there soon. Yeah, I know. One, we're, one we're, of our really favorite places is just, there's so much barbecue, there's so much barbecue we haven't been to. Like you said, I mean, even in town, it, it, it's popped up so fast and it's mm-hmm. growing. I mean, hell, Hurtado is going to have probably a third restaurant open by the yeah. time you might be able to get there. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. It's and like, I don't know, I don't know the owners of Corkscrew or anything like that. It's just that when I went, the, the food was phenomenal. Actually, still some of my favorite ribs and uh, gigantic, gigantic spare ribs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I love them. So yeah, they've they've been doing a, Will and Nicole Buckman are, are mm-hmm. the owners, and I mean, since they they were in a trailer. Their food has been great, and their service. I mean, that that's probably something you notice: the speed of service, mm-hmm. and then while you're there, their staff. Just it's it's a great place to visit. Mm-hmm. Celebrity chef, you could cook with one for a day. Celebrity chef, Bobby Flay. You should go and beat Bobby Flay. I'd love to well, see you yeah. compete against him. <laughs> or, Just, or the barbecue. What, what is the? Oh yeah, the barbecue brawl. Yeah, barbecue that, brawl yeah, right there. Yeah, I, I, I love. I, yeah, I would have to say Bobby Flay, and then uh, there's also a chef that he had, he's not on TV anymore. But back when I was when I was telling you my love for the Food Network, he was uh, Chef G Garvin. Uh, I love Chef G Garvin too. So yeah, it would have to be Bobby Flay or Chef G Garvin. If you couldn't do barbecue anymore, but you had to open a restaurant, what type of food would you cook? Soul food, without question. And and we ought to point out the uh, the phrase that Derek has coined for his food, which. Texel. There you go. There you go. So Texel Barbecue. If you've not been to Smokeaholics, you've got to get out there. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Instagram, hours of operation, all that good stuff. Yeah, so we are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all under Smokeaholics Barbecue. Um, you can find us over in Fort Worth, Texas, in the Medical District, uh, 1417 Evans Avenue. Uh, you can Google us. Yeah, and don't forget um, for those of you that like barbecue festivals, uh, you'll be at some of the upcoming barbecue festivals this year. So um, always look at those lists. It's a great way to come meet these folks, uh, experience some of their food. But it's always a better experience to go to their restaurant because you'll get to see the whole menu. And on Tuesdays, you'll get to see those stuffed turkey. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. but natural Houstonians, you know, we're supposed to not like the Dallas Fort Worth area, but we uh, we've had to admit we like. Biggest reason we did that roundtable last year. We have to admit that the barbecue scene up here is phenomenal. But you guys are making us take days off of work to go eat barbecue now. Like <laughs> Cadillac makes us take a Thursday or a Friday off. Now we're gonna have to take a Tuesday off to come to smoke colleagues. But it's a good problem to have the, the barbecue scene up here. Is, is, I'm already feeling sick, boss. I'm already yeah, feeling yeah, sick. Yeah, Tuesday is gonna be a rough day. Yeah. But uh, Derek, thanks for the time. We loved having you back on. And yeah, glad to be on. Continued success. Great to see what you built, and it's great to see where it's gonna be going over the next couple of years. Thanks, guys. Thank you.